You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Well, good morning. I'm Jess. I'm one of the pastors here. First time I get to say that from this sort of uh, scenario and bringing you um, some words on prayer today. And if you are new with us or if you um, have not been here in the last couple weeks, we are in a series on practices. And so we have gone through some discussions and conversations about Sabbath, which you heard a little plug for a uh, learning community we're going to have in uh, the next four weeks coming up. Last week, we talked about sacraments, about baptism, and the table, and today, we are continuing in that series with a little topic called prayer. Real little, right? Like other practices and spiritual disciplines, prayer is a process that can allow for real, genuine transformation in our lives. Some of us have experienced that and know that full well. It will make us more like Christ. Not when we perfect this art of prayer, not because it's some silver bullet for spiritual maturity, but because Christ himself practiced prayer, and we look to Christ, don't don't we? He spent time in conversation and communion with the Father, and he was profoundly formed by this practice of prayer, in private, with others, so many ways. We, too, get to share in that practice. We, too, can be formed and changed by prayer. So before we get any further, let's actually do that together and pray. God, this morning we gather in a warm space and we acknowledge that it is cold outside of these doors and we ask for your care for um, our neighbors and the community around us. We ask for your presence in this space with those who might be watching, with those who are in the spheres of influence of those in this room. God, we we know your presence is constant. We know you uh, are near. And so we pray that you would help us to be aware of that presence today and you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So our main text today that Scott just read is from this John 15 chapter. Maybe it was familiar to you, but I think of prayer and scripture in a larger kind of context in John. So several chapters of the book of John indicate Jesus's practice of prayer and our invitation to prayer. In John 10, Jesus emphasizes the importance of knowing his voice. He says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Then in John 14, Jesus responds to his questioning disciples with some good news. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So through Jesus, we see we have connection and communion with the father. Those previous barriers and intercessors, they're no longer necessary or present here. It is Jesus who gives us full access to the presence of God. In the same chapter of John, Jesus foreshadows another really great thing, 
the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is counselor, reminder of God's goodness and power, this gift of God's presence that will dwell within us. Great news. Then we come to this chapter 15. Possibly, again, familiar words. Maybe you have heard them or seen them written on a journal or uh, somewhere in a room at a Hobby Lobby or something. I feel like I bring up Hobby Lobby often when I think of uh, kind of quippy phrases. But but this section in John 15 is, is so rich, and so I want to read parts of this again. Starting in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then later on, down in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Here we see the example of Jesus' own practices. He urges us to keep his commands, that he has kept his Father's commands. He urges us to remain in his love, just as he has remained in the Father's love. He goes on, love as he has loved us. We're no longer servants. We're friends. We get to share in the connection and the knowledge of the Father here. This is the modeling and the invitation to practice Christlikeness. We've been chosen and appointed to know God deeply, to love him and to love one another. And then towards the end of this section, we see this kicker. This phrase that has the potential to trip us up if we have any complicated history with prayer. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We just read similar sentiments in verse 7 as well. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This invitation to this kind of prayer feels risky, right? Is Jesus telling us if we ask the right way, he'll give us whatever we ask for? I don't know about you, but prayer often feels much more complicated than that. Prayer is this part of the Christian life. That might be obvious. It's a modeled practice by Christ and other Christian heroes of the faith, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters in the in Christian past. It is simply understood to be a part of life with Christ, a direction, an expectation. Jesus instructs his disciples when you pray, not if, but prayer is also an invitation. The practice takes work, but it's also an opportunity for communion and communication with God the Father. In this series on practices, we're approaching some big topics, topics often more rich and complex than a single Sunday morning can hold. Prayer is no exception. Books and collections of books and podcasts and series have been written and constructed around this topic of prayer. What is prayer, we ask? Why do we do it? How do we do it? Is anyone even listening? Do my prayers matter? It is a full topic to explore, and I'd encourage you to follow any hunger for more understanding of prayer. Go track down those books, podcasts, whatever it is. I'll even give you some recommendations. But today we approach a broad topic like prayer with some caution. 
I, in my limited capacity, you know, time and just being like a full human person who doesn't have all the knowledge about prayer, cannot explore all of it. But I want to cover a really essential part of it. And I trust the power and the slowness of digestible learning. And so we're going to look at a beautiful foundational piece here today. We've discussed that prayer is full. We also know that prayer is many things. It comes in many forms. It can be a prayer of gratitude, these long, rich lists of what God has done and how God has provided for us, or a quick breath of relief as we avoid a close call, an audible, thank you, Jesus, as that frolicking deer just passes our car. It's intercession. It's seeking God's work and care on the behalf of another. It's petition, asking and seeking answers for a variety of needs. Prayer can be adoration. Pray is an acknowledgement of God's character. Think of that first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer can be spontaneous and impulsive. We can write them out. We can sing them. We can mutter them under our breaths in a quiet room. There's a variety and, a, to a degree, a great freedom in prayer. But prayer without practice is missing something pretty valuable here. Right, writer John Mark Comer says that in the practice of prayer, we learn to set aside dedicated time to intentionally be with God in order to become like him and partner with him. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is petition and praise and intercession. But as the writer of John indicates here and as John Mark Comer indicates here, it is also presence and participation. As a pastor, I almost hesitate to say things like this, but life with Christ is often hard work. I don't mean that our work saves us or that Christ requires us to live in constant effort and toil. Far from it. Remember that recent sermon on Sabbath? God has provided rest for us, rhythms and systems of rest for all. And remember this, this table, the gifts of God for the people of God, this is evidence of God's grace and goodness. But the process of formation takes work. Prayer can take lots of work. It asks us to trust, to be vulnerable, to be disciplined. It often gets boring, stale. It takes work to learn new practices and new ways of connection with God. But presence and participation, these are the elements of prayer that often come as gifts. Remember these words from John 15. We're chosen and appointed, friends of Jesus. God is already at work and invites us into that work. He says, stay close to me. Get to know me and what I'm all about. And you know what? You'll see fruit. Again, this is not a magic formula for producing spiritual success. Prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is the point. Communion and connection are the points of practicing prayer. So sometimes learning the voice of the shepherd, as John 10 reminded us, it feels awkward to sit and just be with God. It fights against a lot of our results-oriented, productivity-driven tendencies. If prayer is not a means to an end, then John 15 seems to invite us into a process of personal formation. But not only is it personal, it's deeply communal. This is about receiving God's presence in a way that changes us. It equips us. It enables us to keep his commands. Several times throughout this chapter and these chapters of John, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. 
And here in chapter 15, he clarifies specifically what that command is. Love each other. Prayer is forming how and what we ask of God. Prayer makes it possible for us to love one another in this kind of Christ-like way. Abiding prayer, practicing the presence of God, will not only impact our own soul, but it will have ripple effects on how we see the world. Writer Henry Nouwen describes this well. He says, Jesus leaves little doubt about the meaning of prayer when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Those who dwell in me as I dwell in them bear much fruit. Dwelling in Jesus is what prayer is all about. Life becomes an unbearable burden whenever we lose touch with the presence of a loving Savior and see only hunger to be alleviated, injustice to be addressed, violence to be overcome, wars to be stopped, and loneliness to be removed. All these are critical issues, and Christians must try to solve them. However, when our concern no longer flows from our personal encounter with the living Christ, we feel oppressive weight. Isn't that the truth? Practicing prayer changes and aligns our hearts to Christ. Prayer will transform us for God's glory. Prayer will sustain us and ground us in a weary world. We cannot lose touch with this loving Savior, as Nowen tells us. Or the darkness, the sadness, the burdens of our neighbors, of our family, of our personal lives will overcome us. The prayer practice that John 15 invites us into is often referred to as contemplative prayer. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've practiced it yourself. We focus our hearts and minds on God. We recognize his presence with us. This can be done with scripture, reading the Psalms and sitting in silence as you consider who God is, who, what his character is and how it's described there in the Psalms. Maybe pick a spot in your home or your car before you walk into work. Set a timer. Start with two minutes, five minutes. Sit in stillness and fix your mind on Christ. We're easily distractible people. I am. <laughs> so something like a breath prayer that brings us back. Something like saying, fill me, spirit, with your love. Or I wait for you, Lord. Or my soul finds rest in you alone. Allows us to remember this presence and kind of bring ourselves back to those moments with God. So as a parent and a, a working parent most of my parenting life, I have found these contemplative moments attractive, lovely, but very elusive. In college, I had developed some really consistent prayer habits, and it was very rewarding. I loved it. I would spend early mornings in this prayer chapel on campus, and I would sit there and lose track of time, talking with God, listening, just being still. I had the luxury as a 21-year-old with flexible class schedule to lose track of time. And then about eight years ago, Things changed very drastically when I was pregnant. I was working full-time and completing a master's degree, and time felt a little different. It was scarce to find open-ended time or moments of stillness and prayer, but I found them, and they were equally rich, and God provided those spaces. When the actual kid arrived on the scene, all romanticized notions of contemplative prayer flew out the window. I remember sitting in my oldest son Bo's room, a few weeks after he'd been born, a middle-of-the-night situation, uh, two or three in the morning, and I just thought about how much life had changed, and I was pretty discouraged by that. I had a little mental capacity, I had short bursts of spare time, and I found myself at a loss for prayer and presence with God. At one point, I mindlessly stared up at the wall in his room, and there on a wall 
were the words, I need thee every hour. For months, all I could muster up, all I could manage was that phrase, I need thee every hour. And God met me there. He sustained me in that reality, in my honest offering of my need, and he formed me profoundly in those days. Contemplative prayer looks different for each of us. Whether we are people with loads of time and looking to practice hours of contemplative prayer or space with God, or we are grasping for moments in the midst of chaos, abiding in Christ is available to each of us. If you are someone uncomfortable with silence and stillness, presence with God is still possible. It is the practice and the intention of prayer that our lives are ordered around the work and presence of God. It is not the length of time or amount of quiet that transforms us necessarily. Remember, he's already invited us. Come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The writer of Hebrews reminds us we run with perseverance this race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. With our eyes on Jesus, we trust that prayer is doing that. It's perfecting us. It is guiding us forward. Contemplative prayer allows us to submit to and bear witness to the work of God. We may receive significant language for that work as we sit with God, or we may not. It may be quiet, and we may just be in it. It's often in looking back and reflecting that we're able to note the fruit that John 15 refers to. But the practice of intentional time with God will build our listening muscles. To know the shepherd's voice, we've got to get familiar with him. Prayer is not limited to contemplative or quiet practices. I think we, maybe that feels obvious, but I want to say that. Through my prayer for each of us, uh, though my prayer for each of us would be that we have these moments of rest and, and residing with Christ and dwelling with him, I also know that all communion and communication are a delight to him. Keep praying for your neighbors. Keep asking God to draw people to his goodness and grace. Continue writing out prayers. Continue reading the liturgies and the prayers of scripture and songs and poems. Talk to God. Talk with God. Listen. Or, as we've discussed today, just sit in his presence and be with this God who invites you. As we wrap up today, I want us to consider a couple questions. These will be up on the screen. And if you're somebody who operates well with a little more space and processing time, feel free to write these down or take a picture with your phone and, and come back to them throughout the week. But I'm going to give you some space and let you sit with these questions. And it's okay if you don't have an answer now, and it's okay if uh, you know, you're not in a place to answer it quite yet. But listen to these, these questions and, and let them kind of take root for a bit. When it comes to practicing prayer, where do you sense God might be inviting you to try something new or different? Or where is God affirming a practice you've already begun? And then what support ideas or resources might be helpful to you as you enter into that practice? So I'm going to give a few minutes and then we'll come back up and enter into our next time. And these are words that we heard last week as Andrew invited us to the table. Listen to these words as we um, commune together. Come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify that 
you are righteous, not, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.